get started here. Um, good evening, everybody. Uh, for those of you who are joining us after the fact uh, or joining us this evening who are new, uh, we do have uh, Dave, Dan, and Alex here. And then you got my uh, screen here that will share a couple quick articles. I know we wanted to make uh, a good chunk of this about Remote ID tonight. Um, we have done some live streams and not live streams uh recordings with a couple different uh folks uh from around the uh uav sphere uh we did uh dave and i did one with uh geeks fauna uh about a week ago i did one with uh ftca um a flight test community association um and dave also was on with joshua bardwell so um I think we answered a lot of the questions through those, but we also wanted to, you know, uh, go through some of the uh, misnomers for anybody who didn't get an opportunity to watch one of those um, and kind of uh, just uh, touch base with uh, our exclusive folks too. So, but first off, I wanted to, uh, we're going to, uh, I wanted to take a little trip down memory lane. This actually comes from uh, SUAS News. Um, this was a uh, a document from NASA in 1976 um, on the civil uses of remotely piloted aircraft. So, um, which uh, today we call those uh, un unmanned aerial systems. Um, we still call them remotely, remotely piloted aircraft as well. But uh, this was a document uh, that came out of NASA in the 1970s. Uh, this is a 328 page document um, that I am not going to go through everything on, but I will, uh, let me link these in between uh, <laughs> Dan's linkies here. And Alex, that's the year I graduated high school. <laughs> that's a long time ago uh, it is it is i was alive so it, that's almost that's almost the time when my parents were born too Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so uh one of the pages i pulled out of here was a list of different civil uses uh for remotely piloted aircraft and the neat thing about this is uh, comparing them to how we are using UAS today. So in here we've got uh, small area. Let me blow this up a little bit. Let's see. I think I can make it a little bigger for everybody. Uh, we have small area surveillance is the, the top heading. And then we got security of high value property, surface mine patrol, oil spill cleanup direction. Uh, wildfire mapping, ice flow scouting, spray block marking and tracking, and ground truth verification. I would imagine that's kind of like surveying. Um, ground truth. Ground verification. truth. Not the false ground, but the real ground. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then for large area surveillance, you got search and rescue, <clears throat> wildfire detection, fishing law enforcement, oil spill detection, ice mapping, fish spotting. Uh, law enforcement and surface resource surveys, linear patrol for pipelines, highways, border patrol, power lines, waterway and shoreline pollution detection, uh, aerial spraying, you have agriculture, wilderness, wildfire fighting. For communications relays, we've got ad hoc and uh, permanent. Uh, atmospheric sampling for storm research, meteorology, and mapping pollutants. 
Um, for monitoring ground sensor, you have detecting activities, monitoring uh, cathodic protection of pipelines, uh, and emergency rescue beacons. Um, aircraft research for aerodynamic testing and remote measurements, air-to-air -air surveillance, and security of nuclear materials in transit. Yeah, I want so, to look up cathodic protection of pipelines. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. So, but out of all of these, I mean, a lot of these are being used today. Uh, we've got uh, um, different organizations using uh, the what's called the linear patrol, um, inspecting pipelines, inspecting highways, inspecting rail lines, something that's not even mentioned here. Uh, I know BNSF uses uh, UAS to inspect their, their lines. Uh, we've got uh, ag, uh, agriculture uses. Uh, for spraying, um, I uh, for wildfire detection, I'm sure that's being used as well as wildfire fighting um, and wildfire management. Uh, there's drones that uh, will uh, distribute pellets that when they hit the ground, they'll do uh, small burns uh, like back burns to prevent uh, to create space so wildfires don't spread. Uh, they're definitely being used for survey. Um, so pretty cool that back in 1976, uh, they they were kind of predicting a lot of this stuff. I'm going to go through probably and read this entire thing. Um, I just found it today and I thought it was pretty, pretty incredible. But um, it's a pretty cool uh, thought uh, experiment for remotely piloted aircraft. And granted, um, aircraft have existed for a long time and anything that a, a, a a, a manned aircraft can do, uh, uh, a UAS can do as well. Uh, I think just the the smaller form factor and, and some of the things that they pointed out, and I'll go back to the article from SUAS. Um, In-depth interviews with more than 60 potential users were made and 35 specific uses are identified and defined. Nine of those uses are selected as representative, detailed, Functional and performance requirements are derived for remotely piloted vehicle systems. Uh, total system costs for development, purchase, and operations are estimated for the systems, and cost comparisons are made with competing for non-RPV alternatives. The potential market demand for remotely piloted vehicle systems is estimated in the uses uh, for which RPVs show a cost advantage. Uh, they showed a Potential demand for 2,000 to 11,000 remotely piloted vehicle systems uh, versus the how many millions that we currently have. <laughs> only, only a couple thousand ever, yeah. Hey, you know. Yeah. It's like way, so, uh, way back when computers were first being a thing and you know, people were saying, oh, you know, there might be a few dozen in the country kind of thing. Just what I was going to say. The IBM and, forecast for mainframes was 26. <laughs> That's the all other... the computers that the country needed, yeah, <laughs> or know. the world. Right. Uh, the typical cost savings uh, of 25 to 35% compared to non-RPV alternatives are determined. I would say that cost savings is uh, several orders of magnitude now. I mean, how much does a, a helicopter cost or a plane cost versus the cost of a, of a UAS, right? Um, so massive, massive savings uh by by switching to a uav system um yeah that's like three orders of mag three to four orders of magnitude that's a, yeah yeah heli helicopter huge. to uas is a good comparison yeah so 
Um, there appear to be no environmental problems, and the safety issue appears manageable, although collision avoidance remains a sa key safety issue. This is coming back from 1976. So, you know, I mean, that, that still uh, is definitely uh, on the minds of, of folks from NASA, the FAA, um, and several other agencies to this day. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely a cool thing. So I do want to go through, I will read the whole thing, you know, some, some nice weekend reading, but, uh, really neat. All right. So, um, I also wanted to revisit some of our, our, our favorite, uh, uh, little UAS that we've, uh, covered on the show here today and see how they're doing today. Um, the first is going to be snaps pixie. Um, if you remember <laughs> back in the, uh, when, when this first debuted, our biggest issue, uh, was a concern with, uh, utilizing this, uh, going forward, uh, in a remote ID environment. Um, two reasons is that, uh, social media as especially people who are social media influencers often get paid for the work that they do. And if they're utilizing a pixie, they will need to have remote ID, uh, because that will be considered commercial work. So this is a tiny little, um, drone that, uh, is supposed to automatically follow you around. Um, but, uh, Within the, the last four months, uh, they've decided that they will no longer be making it. They must have <laughs> heard our criticism of it when we brought I it up know, a right? couple months ago and decided, oh, like they're right. We should ditch this thing. So <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. Specifically why it was uh, uh, thrown in the, in the garbage, as the image suggests here. Uh, but they do say... Uh, uh, that Evan Spiegel, a Snap CEO, recently told staff during a Q&A that further development of the Pixie drone has been halted as part of a broader reprioritization of company resources. The drone is apparently yet another victim of both recent economic downturns and challenges that Snap's advertising business is still dealing with as a result of recent privacy updates from Apple for its mobile devices. At launch, Pix the Pixie quickly sold out, Presumably partly a result of the company revealing it would only be making a limited quantity of the drones. Um, but while we may never see a Pixie 2, a person familiar with the matter said that the company still planned to sell off its remaining stock. So, um, Well, luckily, yeah. if they built them before this September, they don't have to meet the remote ID production rules, unless it was less than 250 grams, which maybe it was. Yeah, but if you are an influencer and you're getting paid, still commercial work. Yeah, next so. year you'd have to have remote put a remote ID module on that thing somehow. Yep. All right. So next up in our how are they doing? Uh, so the Zephyr Airbus's uh, um, uh, big honking endurance flying stratosphere uh, uh, cruising uh, UAS. Um, it met an untimely uh, uh, meet up with the ground uh, a couple days ago. Uh, so just before breaking the uh, uh, so close. endurance record so close. Uh, by a couple hours, um, it uh, decided, due to an unknown error, uh, to uh, plummet to the ground. Uh, so no. so was that unknown uh, error caused by the previous record holder? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, the previous record holder was actually... 
they actually or the current well, record holder, is? I guess. Yeah. No, the current record holder is uh, it's called the Hacienda. It was a Cessna 172, which was a compact single engine plane developed in the late 1940s and 50s. The Cessna 172 is one of the most popular aircraft models in the world. Uh, with more than 44,000 units having been built since its inception, and new 172s are still produced to this day. Uh, the Hacienda managed to stay in the air for 64 days, 22 hours, and 19 minutes and 5 seconds, thanks to the assistance uh, of a moving fuel truck, which which drove below the plane when it required a top-up. The Hacienda was already impressive for its time, but even more impressive for maintaining its record despite all the progress the aerospace industry has made over the past six decades. So, um, this one, uh, after a whopping 64 days of flight without a single stop, the Airbus Zephyr suffered from an unfortunate and unknown failure that sent the drone into a steep dive over the Arizona desert. According to Simply Flying, the craft reached speeds of over... Uh, 4,500 feet per minute toward the end of its sudden descent. Uh, Airbus also offered the following comment to Simply Flying. Uh, following the 64 days of stratospheric flight and the completion of numerous mission objectives, Zephyr experienced circumstances that ended its current flight. No personal injury occurred. Our teams are currently analyzing more than 1,500 hours of stratospheric mission data. The valuable experience from this prototype's ultra-long endurance flight has proved to be a positive step towards the Army's high-altitude platform goals. Um, so, yeah. So the, the failure was a success. Yes, uh, I could have written, yeah. written that one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there you go. Um, my personal favorite uh, is the Ingenuity. Um, the Ingenuity... Uh, was just dusted off after uh, two months of uh, not uh, making any flights. Um, and uh, it took to the skies for just a short little hop. So it's currently winter on Mars, or at least in the location where the Ingenuity is. Um, so uh, the solar-powered Ingenuity isn't getting enough sunlight to keep its battery charged both day and night. Um, Mission, uh, mission team members wrote in a recent uh, blog post. That issue, which is worsened by the buildup of dust on Ingenuity's solar panel, precludes long and ambitious flights, but short hops are still possible at the moment. And the Ingenuity team decided to take the little rotorcraft out for a brief spin on Saturday to make sure it's still doing okay after experiencing more than 100 freezing cold Martian winter nights. Uh, the flight was designed to last 33 seconds and cover 6.5 feet of horizontal distance and the ingenuity apparently hit those marks. Uh, so it's still ticking. Uh, it's its 30th uh, hop and uh, uh, still still doing its thing. So um, definitely, that's uh, crazy uh, that it's still going when it was only supposed to do just a few hops, right? Yeah, it was only supposed to do like five missions, I think. And it's just it just keeps ticking. So uh, super proud of the little thing. Um, hopefully someday we'll be able to go pick that up and, you know, um, rescue it. But, uh, all right. So then we've got uh, drone firm announces a Virginia expansion and a college partnership. Uh, so drone up, uh, which is partnered with Walmart for delivery, uh, will invest 7 million to expand its Virginia beach headquarters, creating 510 jobs at that location and invest 
$20.2 million to establish a testing, training, and R&D center for drone operators at Richard Bland College of William & Mary on the outskirts of Metropolitan Richmond, creating 145 jobs there. Um, Walmart announced in May that it was partnering with DroneUp to bring drone deliveries to 4 million households by the end of the year with packages sent aloft from delivery hubs based at local stores and then gently lowered by cable to a customer's yard. Packages, which are limited to 10 pounds, arrive in as little as 30 minutes for a $3.99 air delivery fee. Um, in early tests, Walmart found the most popular item ordered this way has been Hamburger Helper. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Quick and so, simple. There you go. So I know Drone Up, is, I believe they're expanding into uh, a lot of the southern states, including Arizona, uh, Texas, New Mexico. Um, so hopefully here soon I'll be able to uh, test this service out and we'll get some video. I suppose an ingredient like that, like you're in the middle of cooking and realize, wait, I don't have enough of this little th thing. You know, no, if you the, could get the, a drone to fly it to you really quick. Then... Yeah. Or you, or you jacked up dinner and hamburger helpers <laughs> to the rescue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Roast peppers, habaneros, you know, uh, this, could, this could work. Yeah, you know, I, I this, this hamburger helper is not bad. <laughs> All right, so, uh, and then last but not least, before we move into remote ID, um, is uh, the FAA Drone Research Awards $2.7 for disaster preparedness and emergency response. This is a good one. Um, 2.7 million has been granted to five universities uh, in FAA drone research awards, which will support work on leveraging drone technology for disaster preparedness and emergency response. Uh, for years now, drones have been proven to be invaluable in search and rescue, firefighting, mapping of flood areas, and other disaster response efforts. Now the FAA is supporting research institutions as they study how best to deploy and coordinate drone use in emergencies. Uh, so this is super cool. Uh, one of the best uses for drones in my book is search and rescue in any kind of uh, disaster, be it uh, earthquake, tornado, hurricane, uh, being able to quickly deploy and locate um, stranded or injured people and getting them the help they need in a timely manner is going to be so crucial. And, and I, I believe drones are uh the best uh the best solution for things like that just because of the the ability to mass deploy um and and uh locate people quickly so um those uh those grants were given to the university of vermont who received uh um near 1.2 million uh, the University of Alabama in Huntsville got uh, 800,000, New Mexico State University 400,000, North Carolina State University 200,000, and Kansas State University got 145,000. So typically, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, generally the college that received the most amount is kind of spearheading it with additional research coming from the secondary colleges um so it'll be uh interesting to see what they what they find um and it it feels like this is a different list of colleges than what we've seen in the past um so it's good to get that kind of spread around it and funding different research uh programs um for different uh different colleges so uh this is pretty cool uh so yeah 
So with that, um, we're going to move into remote ID and uh, we kind of want to dispel some of the uh, uh, misnomers about it, kind of what's happening currently and what we can expect going forward, as well as some things that we're working on to uh, kind of uh, clear things up for the recreational community um, so that we can uh, have a little bit of peace of mind when we're out doing uh, doing what we do. So, um, Dave, you want to kind of kick us off on some of that and we can kind of sure, jump some into of the, uh, sort of the two of the areas that, uh, that have been coming up a lot over the last couple of weeks are uh, FPV must be illegal and uh, part 107 uh, operation with the home built uh, plus a, um, a remote broad, uh, a broadcast module uh, is that legal and uh, the uh, both of those are areas where uh, we've committed to request a, an advisory circular and they're areas that uh, you can look at the remote ID rule and they're not explicitly uh, identified as something that is okay you have to go back to uh, part 107 and 44809 to determine, well, you know, it's okay there, but uh, it doesn't really say that it's okay under remote ID. Those are those are two, and then there was uh, the general area of enforcement. Okay, so... Um, yeah, let's I mean, in let's terms... go into that... Uh... A little bit further, like, like the remote ID mm -hmm. one. So with uh, like the FPV one, because it's pretty easy to read in the document and understand what's going on. In the past, the FAA has, I think even in an advisory circular, come out and said FPV is fine because the visual observer you have with you is the one who has to be able to see the drone, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you get to the point of next year when remote ID gets added on top of all the existing regulations, um, there's a specific section in there where it talks about the pilot at the controls controlling the drone must be able to see the the drone. And so that's when you know this new regulation gets put on top of it, which means, oh, if you have to fly within the remote ID regulations, now it sounds like FPV is not allowed. And so what Dave, you're just saying now is that we would like the FAA to come out with another advisory circular, which is like the FAA is giving additional clarification on the existing rules to all the people enforcing it saying, hey, this is how we interpret or want you to interpret what we said in the final remote ID rule. And when you talked to the FAA employees back in January 2021, they definitely said, oh yes, we're not intending to make FPV. Uh, something that would break the rules as long as people are following the, the current set of guidelines. So we're hoping that we can get the FAA to release one of those advisory circulars clarifying this remote ID stuff, such as flying FPV and um, being able to build your own drone and put a remote ID module on it. Because we're definitely concerned that, especially in, say, Hollywood, when you're building lifters, uh, you're not going to buy one of those from well, probably not from DJI. You're probably going to build a custom one to meet what uh, you're trying to what do. What you need to do. 
Right. Yep. And so you, I'm sure the FAA really wants that thing that's to still be a possibility. And it would make a lot of sense that if you built your own for that purpose and you put a module on it, that it would meet all the requirements that the FAA is looking for. So right. we need more and clarification the, on that. And one of the, all I right. mean, even, even going back to Dan's example of, of, uh, you know, movies and, and the motion picture association, uh, think of all the movies in the last year or so that have come out with FPV pilots, right? So we've got Alex Vanover and we've got um, uh, Johnny FPV and Nurk oh, we're all out there um, doing these great shots for, for these movies using, you know, their, their, their FPV aircraft. So, and, and most of those, in fact, I, I would venture to guess that all of those that were used were, were built by those pilots. And so, you know, after this, you know, we're concerned that they're going to say, well, if you home built your aircraft, you can't use it for a commercial because it has to have standard remote ID and that's just not going to work. So uh, we want clarification on that. Um, right. as well as the myriad of other uses that, you know, a home-built aircraft can have commercially. Um, so, and, and the conversation we had was with uh, several uh, FAA staff members, but also the executive director of the UAS Integration Office, so the ranking FAA executive responsible for UAS in the States. So, you know, and... You know, these are these are the things that are, are kind of troubling us right now. We're working on trying to get these fixed. Uh, we don't believe that these are going to be an issue, but we want the clarification out there for everybody involved, because what we don't want uh, is somebody who doesn't understand that what the FAA intends is not what's written down and, and they don't understand the intent versus the, the, the letter of the law. So. We want that that change to be in the letter of the law, and right. you know it's not a law, but it's a rule. And um, and there's know, a lot of different to... people trying to enforce those rules. So mm -hmm. the less it's open for interpretation, the better. Exactly. So you know, and, and currently, what's happening right now is we're coming up on the deadline next month for um, manufacturers and producers of UAVs. Uh, or UASs are going to have to implement uh, remote ID in their in their units that are, are are sold for or produced and sold for use in the United States. And uh, Dave, have we gotten any feedback on whether there's a pushback date or anything yet? Don't have that? don't have any nothing specific. Okay, so there is a thought that that might get pushed back, um, but we don't have any okay. solid concrete evidence of that. Um, and if and if the which we are we are anticipating that the September 16, 2022 date will be delayed, we uh, also hear that the September 16, 2023 date absolutely will not be pushed back, will not be delayed. Right. So and, so looking um, at the chat, Gold is saying, uh, so can I still fly my drone normally? So currently, absolutely. Um, you, there is zero requirement for you right now to worry about remote ID. There is zero requirement for you to uh, do anything different from what you're doing right now. So you're good to go. And what will change is the changes coming next year. Um, now, that doesn't mean you won't be able to continue to fly like you are right now. 
what it does mean is there there will be some additions um so uh that's when uh consumers or the end users which is you um uh gold uh will need to uh if you're gonna fly outside of a fria which is an faa recognized identification area uh you will need to uh, fly with a broadcast module a remote id broadcast module um so that you can continue doing what you're doing um but that's not a concern right now for you um so keep doing what you're doing and that that is to say that goes for everybody okay the hobby's not dying it's not gonna die it's not being you know regulated out of existence uh there are some changes coming uh in the next year uh, but continue doing what you do continue doing what you love uh keep flying so uh hugely massively important message um don't 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 freak out. The sky's not falling. Um, the hobby's not dying. So, um, but uh, currently the manufacturers and the producers are kind of up against it. Um, and now that the um, ASTM standard has been approved um, by the FAA, uh, we'll see uh, where we lie. Last I checked, there were no approved. DOCs, which is declarations of compliance for remote ID systems. Um, and the other thing I would like to push out there is be careful because there are a lot of, uh, there's several remote ID systems that are coming up uh, right now um, that are based off older standards. They're, they're not FAA approved. Um, they, they are, you know, they haven't gone through the vetting process with the FAA. So please, please, please be careful. If you're going to buy something, make sure it's FAA approved. Um, and in fact, and you want to, you want to see a, uh, a reference to a document number, which is the, an FAA declaration of compliance, and then you'll be able to get that declaration of compliance. And in that will be a reference number to the means of compliance that was used so it should be pretty easy to track down there's good websites for the uh, uh, declaration and means of compliance and i think uh, one of the things we might do is we might put up a, a link just on our page uh to those those uh, approval pages um so that you know it can just be a self-check for you because what i don't want people doing is spending something uh, spending money, hard-earned money, on on something that uh, won't uh, cover their bases when it comes time for that. And keep in mind, they're not required. If you are not, they're not required until next year. So you know it's not a rush to go out and and do this. So PB Devastator, um, he says, uh, "Am I understanding correctly that if I'm flying under 250 grams and not making money, there is no remote ID required?" Yes, you are correct. So if you don't need, if you basically the, the rule is, is if you're flying sub 250, um, if it doesn't need to be registered, it doesn't need remote ID. So, um, and generally if you're flying recreationally um, under 250 grams, you don't need to register that. And um, you do not need to have remote ID. Um, Registered means that you need to, as a as a as a pilot, as a drone pilot, as a you know a model aircraft pilot, 
Um, you do need to, if you're flying anything over 250 grams, uh, between 250 grams and 55 pounds, um, you need to register with the FAA um, at their drone zone website and get a FAA uh, certificate number um, uh, to stay in compliance with the regulations. And there's been some confusion uh, about for recreational, we register ourselves as the pilot and we can uh, we register once and think it's five dollars for three years and we can have a whole bunch of aircraft uh, and if you're uh, flying under part 107 then you have to register uh, each aircraft and it is it's um, you have to have a remote ID, an individual remote ID device for each aircraft and on recreational you can move that remote ID broadcast module from aircraft to aircraft mm-hmm so um yeah it's it's definitely uh so pv you're you're good to go if you're flying sub 250 um it's the moment you kind of step over that into uh over 250 that um you will need remote id starting next year so you don't need anything now you're good to go um but starting next year so uh, and that'll be september 16th next year so just want to clarify slightly too when uh, PB Devastator was asking about uh, flying 250 and not making money. It's not the making money part, it's flying just for fun. If you're flying for mm-hmm. any reason other than just for the fun of it, then it's considered like a commercial flight. It's not a recreational flight. Then you need to register and you have to follow all those different rules, right. which is probably what you meant. Uh, but just yes. want to clarify that for everybody listening. And keep in mind, you know, that is. Uh, to the FAA, the intent of the flight is the differentiator. That means if you went into the flight intending to fly recreationally and a year later somebody sees your footage and uh, they want to buy it off of you, uh, you're fine. And uh, 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 Gold is talking about registering next year. If you fly something that's 250 grams or up right now in the United States, you are supposed to register. Mm-hmm. And if you're flying recreationally, you register yourself, like Dave was saying, and you put your registration number on your drone. Mm-hmm. So definitely an important differentiator there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know remote ID can be confusing. I know it's concerning, um, and but, but we're here, and uh, we're rolling into that period. Um, I just wanted to, we just wanted to, to get some information out to everybody. Um, yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. So gold, uh, yeah. If you haven't registered, you want to get registered, registered, okay? do the trust or do, yeah. tr- do trust. <laughs> I, can't, I, yeah, the, the tease. And so the there's trust a couple, are... a couple things you want to do. So Dan linked, uh, some statutory conditions, uh, for flight, um, you want to take the trust. Um, we recommend uh, going to pilotinstitute.com uh, and you can uh, take the trust. Uh, it's free um, and uh, you can't fail it. Um, and you can go through and, and do that. You want to keep that certificate on you going forward that you get from trust. Uh, you'll want to mark all your aircraft uh, with your FAA registration uh, number um and and uh to just to make sure you're you're safe and compliant with uh, the rules that way if something happens 
um, you you've got all that, and you won't get hammered with with uh, any kind of uh, fees or anything like that. So, um, but uh, let's see. Pine trust is free and easy. Yes, it is. Uh, you can probably pass it cold. Uh, you actually you can't fail. fail. Trust. <laughs> it, it's it's built in that you cannot fail it. So. Um, Having it on my phone is completely fine, right? Yes, it is completely fine. Um, digital storage of your documents is 100% fine. Um, I always keep a, a hard copy with me just in case, you know, a phone dies or or something like that. But I keep it in my drone bag. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can't keep it on your phone. Just make sure it's accessible when you need it to be accessible. Um, so, uh, but, yeah. It, it almost seems what? like we need to, I wish it was simple, but it'd be great if we had like a flow chart that helped people answer these questions. Like, oh, are you flying for bad, fun? Yeah. Are you flying not for fun? Are you flying sub 250? Are you not flying sub 250? Are you flying in a Freya? Are you not flying in a Freya? Is the date before <laughs> this date? Are you building the drone? Are you not building the drone? Uh, it would be a little bit <laughs> difficult, but like th those the are the FAA things I go through my head. Similar. Yeah. The FAA actually has something similar for helping to determine what rule set you fly under. don't have a link to it yet, but I can find it probably quickly. Yeah, see if you can find it for us, Alex. That would be great to have. Um, it's either that or quickly dump your drones in a lake and, and run away. <laughs> and, and, like, we... There's a lot that could still change between now and next year when operators have to comply, and especially since we haven't seen what the FAA is going to do about FRIAs, like, what the there process is and, like, what the requirements are going to be to... Ha uh, create a Freya, like if they happen to probably accidentally make it too easy, and we can sign up everybody's backyard as a Freya, like I'm sure that's not what they're expecting that's to happen. Yeah, but no. if they accidentally did that, like that would make things completely different. Or it, they could go the other way and make it extremely difficult and almost impossible to create a Freya, which would really limit the places people could fly uh, non-remote ID compliant drones. All right. So there's the link to the tool that the FAA has. Yeah, and it just walks you through it. Yeah, um, which is which basic is little thing. Um, but yeah, I think a flowchart might be something we we might need to add to to our website. Uh, so couple couple things we need to do here. So uh, we need a list uh, to our DOCs another, and MOCs and a flowchart. Another another topic that has come up again over again and again over the last several weeks is uh, Frias and CBO. Mm -hmm. So and, go ahead. Go. So um, one of the one of the uh, rubs we're having right now is two two different institutions can request a Fria, um, and that's a CBO, which is a community based organization. Uh, something we're hoping to be, uh, something the AMA is hoping to be, something uh, FTCA is hoping to be, um, and educational institutions can request FRIAs. Um, so the problem is, is that the FAA currently has not defined a path for anybody to become a CBO. They have put in place guidelines uh, and, and guidelines that we follow. You have to have educational information. You have to um have uh 501c hold the 501c3 nonprofit status um uh, and a couple other uh hoops to jump through that that we've all jumped through um but there's no current process to apply to become a cbo which means no cbos exist 
the AMA is not a CBO. We're not a CBO. Uh, FTCA is currently not a CBO. So um, the, the the rub is is that nobody can apply for a free except for educational institutions right now. Um, but as Even far as I know, either. there's no way for them to, to apply, apply for free either. So, oh, you know, although we're, Josh, we're stuck in this. In the remote ID what? final rule, doesn't it say uh, that the FAA September will begin 22nd. accepting applications for FRIAs in September? Yeah, <laughs> so, well, same, know, same day as a... Yes, yep, they apply. accept they... them, but we won't tell you how or where to uh, <laughs> to send your applications. So, yeah. you know, good we'll luck. Just come up with a dummy application. Put all the this information is, you think is, they might need and email it to the FAA, right? This is bureaucracy at work. So... Um, yeah, we're we're stuck in this this middle ground where where nothing can physically happen. So, um, yeah, FRIAs are going to become uh, a key thing. If you don't want to be remote ID compliant, you don't want to have broadcast modules. In order to stay compliant with the regulations, you will need to fly uh, within a FRIA. Uh, we just need to get there first. So uh, we are several years behind uh, that path to becoming a CBO. Uh, which is frustrating for a lot of different organizations. Um, but uh, we're hearing that there's uh, some imminent uh, <laughs> processes coming. So, you know, I mean, it was supposed to be imminent uh, two and a half years ago, uh, but uh, here we are. So um, hopefully we we've get some movement on that. Uh, believe me, we're not the only ones frustrated. The commercial industry is also frustrated with the path of regulations um that is currently uh going on um the commercial drone alliance has expressed their displeasure um for being able to to kind of stay ahead uh, of uh, other countries in terms of uh, moving forward with uh, things like drone delivery and beyond visual line of sight and and those kinds of things and everybody um, so who's building a the recreational Everybody who's currently building and selling a bind and fly or a ready to fly drone or aircraft of any kind are scrambling because the remote ID rule says after the September, you can't produce a aircraft that has all the parts. And so if you currently sell a bind and fly come this September, you can't make those and sell them in the United States anymore. So they're going to have right. to find a way around that, whether it's you know, sell them without a receiver and then become a something where you have to Almost install your own receiver yeah. instead. But you know, the per, the per, yeah. just as you said, the prudent the prudent solution is to uh, manufacture as a home built and then uh, add um, appropriate components. And it's not defined by the FAA, so uh, we don't think adding propellers is a, a prudent. But we do think adding a receiver or adding uh, motors. Uh, Light controller uh, would be uh, a sensible and reasonable uh, addition. That that would allow you to um, de designate your aircraft as home built, and then when remote ID comes along as a requirement for the end user in September 2023, you had a broadcast module to to the same configuration. So you know it's it's definitely uh, interesting times ahead, um, but. Uh... You want to yeah. highlight the differences between standard and home built? Sure. So, uh, standard remote ID, um, 
is one of the three different remote ID uh, ways to be remote ID compliant. So standard remote ID is something that's produced uh, in, in in full. So this would be like your, your DJIs. Uh, this would be your Skydios. This would be your Autels um, that come you know, ready to rock um, with uh, the the drone, the receiver, or sorry, the, the transmitter, um, a full system. And standard remote ID has a couple different requirements. So uh, first off, it brought the, the, the drone itself or the aircraft itself will need to broadcast its GPS location. Um, and that's horizontal uh, as well as vertical location, its speed, um, any emergency status, its uh, specific uh, uh, session ID or, or unit ID, um, but uh, as well as the um, controller itself will also need to communicate uh, its status as well as its location. Um, the other difference is, is that standard I remote ID will need to be integrated into the systems of the UAS itself so that if remote ID is not functioning if the it's not broadcasting then the uh, drone or the aircraft itself will not take off um, so very different importance and then you've got broadcast modules broadcast modules was a solution uh, to add to home built um, aircraft um, it's a separate component it's not integrated with the system um, but still needs to transmit its location, its speed, its emergency messages, and its unique identifier, as well as it broadcasts its takeoff location. Um, it doesn't need to be integrated into the transmitter or the controller. Um, so it's just a standalone unit that gets added onto the um, aircraft itself. The third method would be to fly in a free as we were discussing earlier. Uh, that requires no remote ID. Um, you can, however, use remote ID within Afria, but it doesn't require it. So a um, couple different distinctions. Also, broadcast module, again, will not be integrated with the drone itself. Therefore, um, if there's an issue with the remote ID, it will not stop you from arming your aircraft and flying. Now, there have been some clever uh, suggestions. Well, won't some manufacturers want to integrate the broadcast module function into a flight controller or a receiver? And that makes sense as long as the code, the software, can be segregated probably in a separate chip and uh, not intermingled and has to be tamper resistant. So that means that it, it cannot have an easy path to something that's uh, uh, open Hard source coded, code yeah. uh, running over in the rest of the flight controller or receiver. So I haven't watched it yet, but according to XJet, Bruce, uh, he mentioned that the Drone and Sundry channel uh, talked about Ardu Pilot and how it plans to uh, comply with remote ID in their video yesterday. So I should I'll have to watch that and see what our pilot's planning. Yeah, the, I'm not sure. That link that I shared you guys. I before. believe that's the same one. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting because they're they're you know I I understand the want and the need for open source and I'm a very big open source advocate. Um, however, the the problem comes with the level of tamper resistance. 
um and that that's going to be something that our pilot will need to kind of overcome um in terms of getting approval and and this is the important part is that a remote id broadcast module is not valid if it's not approved by the faa um so just because you have it doesn't mean uh it's going to keep you uh out of trouble and i don't you know i don't say that to scare somebody i just don't want you know do your do your homework you know uh before jumping jumping on ship with with somebody we want to make sure that you're if you're going to spend your money and you're going to you're going to fly that you're doing so uh responsibly and within the the realm of of uh staying out of trouble that's a a bit interesting because it would be pretty easy to say you've got Arju Pilot or your flight controller that is spitting out and exact all the right stuff to be remote ID compliant, right? But it's not approved by the FAA. But if somebody is looking at your drone flying around and bring up the app, it'll show that it's just like it's legit because it, it it's acting like it, it should. Uh, the only way you'd get in trouble is if like somebody got a hold of your drone and saw it and it's like, oh, well, this isn't actually one of those things. So it's it's kind of like driving a car around with fake license plates where right. everybody just glances at it. It looks totally fine until somebody digs into it you deeper. Do something stupid. Right. right. <laughs> you do something stupid. And and here's the thing is it's it's not just do something stupid, right? It's everybody has an accident sometimes, you know, and I'm not saying that everybody has an accident with a drone, but what I am saying is it's a possibility. So you know, you could, uh, you know, lose signal and drop onto somebody's car and damage their vehicle, in which case the police, you know, come out and, and investigate and find that your drone was not compliant or, uh, you know, God forbid, injure somebody, which is very unlikely, but possible, uh, or a collision or flying somewhere where you shouldn't be or any, any number of things. And it's not that you know, I think anybody does any of these things intentionally. It's just an accident could happen and something, you know, and they investigate and then all of a sudden you're 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 looking at a fine and and that's just not something anybody wants. So And let's see, two dog uh, RC is asking what is the power of the transmitter per the spec that has to be on the drone? Is it different for a module and built in? And I think the answer is no, it's not different for the module and built in. And the FAA is very vague. It's basically saying it needs to transmit as far as possible or practical, whatever language they have. And Dave can probably add some details here, but I believe the ASTM standard uh, that got approved by the FAA is talking about using the 2.4 gigahertz Bluetooth 5, and I think it's even the Bluetooth 5 long-range version, which I don't remember the power, but the, the distances can be like a kilometer or many kilometers if your drone's up in the air pretty far. Right. And the the reason that a Bluetooth 5 beacon was selected or long range was selected was uh, it has um, intrinsic error checking, which uh, felt we thought was uh, um, implied an implied requirement in the rule, and so that uh, that allowed us to um, satisfy a requirement with a, a spec that folks could just pick up and run and run with a, uh, a components that they could just use. Um, the range is going to be, you know, it could be generally the range is about a kilometer, but it, depending on your height and the sensitivity of the device that's registering it. So, you know, a phone, 
um it could be you know it could be a two kilometers two and a half um so it just depends on the i i would say the ambient noise floor uh, of the area you're flying in as well as how high you are sensitivity to the device that's trying to detect th that signal etc i think he's asking as in like if you're at 20 to 50 feet altitude how far the range is right, right. and you know it's variable uh, I mean, if you want really short range, fly two inches off the ground in a wooded area, and your range would be very short. Right. Or around a lot of concrete. I mean, it's not something where, you know, I can give you a definite answer on that two dog. Uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be location specific. In one location, you may get 1,000 feet. In the next, you may get, you know, 1,500. So it's also also has a lot to do with antenna propagation. We spent literally four weeks on this topic. So if uh, you're into it, you can uh, dig into propagation shapes of uh, different uh, antenna uh, that we dug through in, in detail and uh, worked on uh, discussions of placement of the uh, of the antenna on the aircraft. And of yeah, course, I mean... those of us on FPV said, you know, you know how often I'm flying upright and horizontal? <laughs> Probably more yeah, than Alex. Right and horizontal. <laughs> right. Or you know, you've got carbon fiber that's you know blocking the signal to a certain degree, and and certain things like that. So, um, so is that required in the spec where and how to mount the antenna? Uh, I don't no. believe so. No, it just um, basically not... says to get the best performance possible. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that also makes me think. What if you have a broadcast module, but say someone dumps it in concrete, basically blocking the propagation of the antenna, the module's still working. Does that consider tampering? I mean, here, here's what is I would it, tell is you. Is that considered Alex. tampering? Here's what I would tell you, is that upon examination in the case of an accident or an incident, what do you want to have happen? I'm just saying. What if somebody's as FPV frame? By messing where you put it. What if your FPV frame was designed in such a way that it wasn't obvious, but the back <laughs> part of the frame was basically a Faraday cage where you stuck the remote ID module in it? Oh my goodness, you guys! <laughs> <laughs> you just <go. laughs> I'm just throwing out ideas. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, here's here. I I will repeat this do what you feel is right if your aircraft were to come under inspection and that's what i'm going to and, say and if anyone has made successfully successfully made a faraday cage to uh, uh mask uh, uh fpv signals let me know i tried to make <laughs> one i failed miserably <laughs> so all right, so Two Dog says, thinking for real-life scenario, drone flies over a house in a neighborhood with lots of houses and Wi-Fi. Can a phone even pick that up? Yes. Uh, you're, I mean, I would say if your phone can pick up your own Wi-Fi signal, it's going to be able to pick up uh, uh, that signal. If your phone can pick up your Bluetooth earphones, you're, 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 it's going to be able to pick up that drone. So uh, there are going to be conflicting... Uh, noise levels in terms of, of radio frequencies and that will affect the range of that uh being able to be, get picked up but it your phone will be able to very quickly differentiate those signals if you you know i live i live in an urban environment if i flip on 
uh, discover Wi-Fi. I, I get the eight, you know, around me from the houses that are around me. It picks those up really quick. So, um, yeah, it's so, not going to be super. Go yeah, ahead. and I, I'm like, just it doesn't have to be really high performance. It's not like you're transmitting live video or audio. It's just a small bit of text, basically like text packets uh, every second with just a little bit of data. And so if you miss a whole bunch of them, but you get one every once in a while, it's still going to basically function. Yeah, and that's the thing, is it's transmitting all that data, your latitude, longitude, speed, heading, um, your unique identifier, all that stuff. It's transmitting all that information once per second. So depending on whatever the the app is for detection, it, it'll be able to piece those over several different seconds of packets, uh, I'm sure. And, so. and meet, we, uh, meet us a good question. He said... Um... He has a question, just wondering what is the expectations are from the standard and the rule? And so the rule is very vague, and the standard does have uh, a test uh, plan in it. And so uh, there's a, a bench set of tests, and there are flight tests. And so uh, we, uh, uh, we specify the aircraft flying a pattern, and uh, we want to have uh, n, n number of positive uh, receipts of the uh, broadcast message over a set period of time. All right. So I think with that, hopefully we've answered some questions. I love the the interaction and the questions. Um, so uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, if you have more, feel free to reach out or ask us at our next one. I'm sure this will be an ongoing topic um at least through the the end part of this year uh that we'll need to touch base on um and uh yeah so uh, i don't want to keep you guys too too long uh over our our seven well for me it's seven o'clock i don't know about the rest of y'all but uh over our hour <laughs> bedtime but, yeah right so uh, yes. yes my bedtime alex Old guy. I have to take a nap to stay up for this. All right. So with that, uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate the interaction, the questions. Um, and uh, with that, I'll give you the rest of your evening back. Um, we will be back in two weeks. Um, and uh, happy to answer more of your questions or reach out to us on Discord. Reach out to us at our emails. Um, happy to have those conversations. Yep, ask away anytime in the Discord. Send us email, Facebook, whatever works for you. We'll try to get you answers. Yep, absolutely. I know this is important Excellent. to everybody. So, Excellent. Have a Good great questions. night, guys. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, gents. Yep. See you in two weeks.